So we're in a series called No Strings Attached. Last week I preached a message called Strings Attached. Uh, we have a creative meeting on Tuesdays. We've been preparing for a while for that message. And I had a lot of people ask me, man, it's going to be tough, man. How are you going to top that one? I said, I'm not going to. I'm not going to try. Because every, every now and then Moses has to come off the mountain and be with the people. Come on, every now and then, you can't, live, you can't live up here all the time. Sometimes you got to be as stable down here as you were up here and just walk through that thing. And the practicality is just as important as the powerful move of God in our lives. Hey, this afternoon, speaking of practicality, if you are a voting member of this church, or if you've just been attending and you would like to see what this is all about, we have an annual business meeting. We only have one a year. That's how much we love them. We only do them once a year. But we haven't... <laughs> <laughs> we only have a, well, I'm sorry, we have an annual business meeting this afternoon right here in the sanctuary. Our voting members will be registered, non-voting members. That means if you attend this church and you would like to come, you are welcome. We'll have a spot for you to sit in. I'm going to share something exciting this evening if you can make plans to attend that. Today, in this series, No Strings Attached, I want to preach a message called Looking for Love. You may, some of you may know where I'm going with this, but when I was 24 years old on October 11th, 2008, the hardest date in the world to remember. I can never remember what day we were married on. Fortunately, I married a very gracious woman who usually forgets with me. Praise God for that. So we were married on October 11, 2008. I, I married my best friend. I didn't outkick my coverage. Like I, I kicked a home run. Come on, somebody. I just, I put it into a new field, a new sport altogether. She was the honey in my coffee. Come on. She's the, she is the vanilla in my tall, dark, and handsome. Come on, somebody. Somebody, it's just, she is what I needed, and I was glad to be with her on that day. We got married that weekend. LSU got their tail kicked by Florida, and the Cowboys lost to the Buffalo Bills. And I don't care if you are a Saints fan and can't stand the Cowboys, don't nobody like the Buffalo Bills. So that weekend could have been a tough thing for me. But to be totally honest, I wouldn't have cared if World War III would have happened that weekend because I got married, and that was the only thing that was on my mind that Saturday and Sunday. I was just glad to be with her. Okay, here's the problem. I didn't prepare for the marriage that I said I wanted. I didn't spend my life living for Jesus on the way to that altar. I spent my life living as if I was already married and looking for all these different relationships to try to fill the void that only Jesus really has the ability to. To feel. So when I saw Megan, I didn't walk up to her in my purity, in my Christianity and say, hey girl, have you been courted by anybody recently? <laughs> girl, I was sitting across the classroom today and I saw you raise your hand. I thought, I bet she's a worshiper. Would you like to go to the Elevation concert with me and a group of my friends so we have healthy accountability? I didn't say any of those things. No, first time that she walked by me, I about broke her neck from turning around looking at me as I walked by. Wait, no, scratch that. Flip it, reverse. That was me when she walked by. So we just, we didn't prepare for the purity that we hoped our marriage would be. And so when we got married, 
we had a lot of baggage. Maybe I'll say it this way. We had a lot of strings. See, I didn't cherish my relationship with Jesus on the way there and then include others in that relationship. I cherished my relationship with others and then I included Jesus. And listen to me, if you get that backwards, you mess up the whole equation. I mean, it's the difference in dividing by the big number or the small number. If you just... If you just include Jesus in all your other relationships and all your other affairs and activity, then you flipped the formula and therefore, listen, you get a different result. If I divide from the small number, I only get percentages. But when I divide from the big number, I get multiples. And if you mess up the formula of not just putting Jesus first, but putting him in his proper place so that everything or anything else is just a complement to the completion that you found in him, then you mess up the whole equation. I didn't get it right. I had it backwards. I didn't spend my life preparing, preparing to be the man that God had called me to be. I didn't spend my life becoming the son that God created me to be. And whether you are married, you've been married, you're unmarried, or you're on your way to marriage, this message is for you. Because if you don't become the son and the daughter that God has created you to be, then you will never be the husband, the wife, the father, the mother, the leader, the witness that you're supposed to be. If I am not the son that God has called me to be, then I will never be the husband that Megan needs me to be. If I'm not the son that God has called me to be, that he created me to be, if I don't find my stability in Jesus only, and then everything else just as a compliment, then I will never be the father that Adeline and Emery and Gabriel need me to be. I'll never be the leader that this staff needs me to be. And I'll never hear the vision that God has for this church because I will always be distracted and divided because the formula is out of place. I can only experience division whenever I don't have him where he's supposed to be. Becoming the man that he created me to be. I spent my life lighting it up just a little bit so that I can step on your toes again later. Uh, I, <laughs> I spent my life, like as long as I can remember, 5, 7, 9, 14, 19, 21, you name it. I spent my life jumping from relationship to relationship. I was literally... Now, I don't know what you did growing up. Maybe you were. Okay, okay. So it seems to me like we live in a culture where everybody is. Okay, okay, okay. So you get the illustration. Like, we just live in a place and it's... Okay, for real, that's... It's funny. We got... Do you get it? All right, so... 
we're looking for love and in, in, in all these places and in, and in all these people. And look, I'm about to drop what the young people would call a truth bomb on you. You ready? If you never come to a place, if I never come to a place where Jesus is my only one, then I will always be looking for another one. Nobody else can fill the void that the Son of Man was sent to fill. And if you can't be filled by the Son of Man, listen, there ain't another man for you, baby. <laughs> There's not another woe man for you, son. If you can't be fulfilled and stable in the Son of Man, God put on flesh and dwelt among us, then he doesn't create or make anybody else that will ever fill that void for you. And that's why we get to a certain place in our lives where we look at the people in our lives, the relationships, even our marriage, and we say, I'm just not happy anymore. You never were happy because your happiness was dependent upon your circumstance instead of being filled with the joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. See, we get to a place where we, I just don't love you anymore. No, no, no. The truth is you stopped loving them after about six months because you became selfish again when they didn't meet your need any longer. I just don't feel the same way. Well, that's okay because living this life for Jesus is not about feeling. It's about faith. Get your faith in line and your feelings will follow. When he's not the only one. Guys, he didn't, ladies, he didn't make another one that can fill that void. Whether you're married or single, the message of the gospel is if you're looking for love and places and people, you will never find it. But when you look for love in him, then you will find a love that is greater than you even knew you needed. Let me say it this way. If Jesus is not enough, then no one ever will be. I spent my life basing my identity on who I was in a relationship with. I spent my life basing my identity on what girl or girls I was in a relationship with. We're gonna come back to this, but it was funny when I was seven and I needed counseling when I was 27. What's funny when we're small is forsaken when we grow old. So we need to make sure that we're sowing the right seeds. Instead of making something that is not God's will amusing early on in life and then being confused as to why they continue that way later on in life, come on. We need to set the standard early and often. Well, Chris, it's too late. And no, it's never too late. God doesn't need a, a, a bunch of mileage. He'll use that, but he just needs a moment for something new to begin. And you can cast off the old and begin anew. My identity was based on who I was in a relationship with, listen, instead of who I was in Christ. We live in a culture that teaches you that your identity is dependent upon who you're in a relationship with. We don't live in a culture that teaches you that your identity is based upon who you are in Christ. Listen, that, hear me, that idolatry has even made its way into the way that the church parents their children. This is how big this is. It's way more than just one sermon illustration 
that we saw and reproduced. It's about Jesus. And I hope this is okay. I meant to ask her, but she's usually pretty founded in this area. Guys, even, even my wife was a victim of a locker room bet. My marriage was the victim for the first few years, even though we were headed in the right direction, was still a victim of Megan and me finding our substance and security in other people instead of in the person of the Holy Spirit. And when we stopped that, we started something new. Because she began to understand that I can never be for her what only he's supposed to be. And she can never be for me what only he's supposed to be. And when we discovered that, we stopped putting Holy Ghost pressure on one another. We stopped putting the pressure of the Holy Spirit. She stopped putting the pressure on me to lead her in the ways of the Lord. Because the Holy Spirit was leading her. I stopped putting the demands and the pressure of desires upon her because he was enough whenever we truly began to seek him in that manner. But it was cultured into us. Listen to me, I've got a, a, a disclaimer for this whole series. I'm not condemning relationships in this series. My, my intent is to expose unhealthy relationships. My intent is to expose and redirect the identity crisis that we have that we are attempting to fill the void of with more relationships. Young and elder alike. Here's the purpose. I want to see Christ-centered, integrity-based relationships. That's who we are striving to be. Christ-centered people. With integrity-based relationships. Guys, the morality in this nation is on a steady decline. Look, I, it's, not, it's not any worse than it's always been. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. We're not worse off than we've ever been. No, it's just more acceptable even in the church than it's ever been. My God is the same in the days of Noah that he is in 2020. What he said wasn't okay then, ain't okay now. He's calling us to center ourselves back around the nucleus that is our Savior and his Son, Jesus Christ, and let that affect the integrity by which we look at every single other human being in our lives. Next week, we're going to go deeper into that. I want to try to steer away from personal soapboxes. But it's tough. It's tough. Because I was a youth pastor for almost a decade. And I just counseled too many teenagers that were giving their lives away to other people. I've... I've sat in offices and rooms with, with broken people that were carrying the scars of their own impurity and somebody else's impurity. And so I'm extremely, maybe even overly passionate about this topic. And I get on soapboxes unintentionally. 
And I'll say things like, listen, it's not okay to grub down and make out, even though most of our culture thinks it's fine as long as you don't touch somewhere that you're not supposed to. Listen to me. When you have to ask what the line is, you already crossed it. You already went there because you went there in your mind. And Jesus said, even to look at a woman. What I'm calling for is a return to biblical purity where people would not even have a hint of immorality in the house of God, but our pursuit would be purity and peace in the only one that can truly give us that fulfillment. So here's the question that we have to ask. We have to ask this question. Is my relationship with Jesus the most valuable relationship I have? Is it more valuable than my relationship to my children? Is it more valuable than my relationship to my girlfriend, to my boyfriend? Is it more valuable than my relationship to my spouse? Coach Jeff Willis said it this way. I hope he's okay with this. He said this in a a meeting with his coaching staff that he allows me to be a part of. He said, don't ever put your faith in something that can be taken away from you. Don't ever put your faith in your security your substance and your fulfillment in something or someone that can be taken away from you. And we know where he's going even without saying it. My identity was based upon people, performance, places, productivity, when my identity is supposed to be based on the person of Jesus Christ and his spirit. If you cannot answer this question honestly, That the most valuable relationship that you have in your life is Jesus Christ. Consider this a prophetic warning. Any other relationship that you have is in big trouble. I know that's heavy. But I'm going to give you the solution. Like we're going to talk about the win. But if you can't answer that Jesus is the most valuable relationship that you have. Then your relationships are currently headed in the wrong direction. You're experiencing percentages instead of multiples. If you're not careful, your relationship is destined for doom and it's possibly, hear me, if I take Adeline, Emery, Gabriel, and I put them in the most valuable place, so I revolve whether I come to church upon their schedule. I revolve whether I spend time with Jesus upon what they need. I have put my child as an idol between me and God's will for my life. Even my children, ladies, gentlemen, if my relationship with Jesus is not the most valuable relationship that I have, then any other relationship is potentially idolatrous. Listen, God is loving. He's just. He's merciful. But he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still a jealous God. And he does not enable people or groups of people, churches, movements, or nations To put him second. It's not okay. But it can be. See I'm calling for a return. To Jesus being enough. I'm calling to you today. 
I'm pleading with you. Paul would say, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. I am, I am inspiring, encouraging, motivating, and challenging you today to return to the place in this house as a people where Jesus is truly enough. That he's not, hear me, that he's not even just my first priority. He is my fulfillment. He's not even like at the top. He's my only. And then anything and everything else is just a compliment to his completion. Singleness is how we're defining this. That is in and of itself singleness. That Jesus, whether I'm married or I'm single, whether I've been married, whether I hope to be married, wherever I am in life, I want to return to a place where Jesus is my fulfillment. I remember when Megan first met me, how it changed her life. <laughs> Scratch that and flip it again. And I remember when we first started dating. Actually, when we first met, she was dating somebody else. So I talked to her anyway because I figured if I could break them up, they didn't need to be together. Like, if it's going to happen in college, it happened later. So I figured we'd just go ahead and get that over with for him. And so, <laughs> so here we are, and, and we began to date, and, and it wasn't, I mean, it was, it, from its origin, it, it was set up for failure. But, but we were still, like, we, we would stay awake late at night, and we would call one another, and we would just sit on the phone and listen to one another breathe. And like, you go to sleep. No, you go to sleep. I like to play the game still these days. Like we call one another and I can tell when she's busy and she's trying to get off the phone. If I do that, I get in trouble. But if I act like it irritates me when she does it, I get in trouble. Come on, somebody. <laughs> so I can tell when she's busy and she's trying to get off. She's like, okay, babe. All right, I love you. And I'm like, I love you more. <laughs> and you stay awake all night long. Y'all, I, I was so smitten by her. I used to get up when we first met, we first started dating, I would get up and get ready for college classes. Now, some of y'all don't understand how transformational and revelational that was. But every other day, I was wearing the same sweats I had worn at baseball practice the day before. Like, I picked them up out of the floor and put them on. If they were a month clean, they were clean enough for me. Like, if my teachers wanted to stay away from me, praise the Jesus. That's why I was going to school that day. But I met her, and all of a sudden, I was waking up. Like, I was putting on some clean clothes. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have a lot of clean clothes because I, I didn't wash it a lot. But anyways, but I, was, I washed myself a lot, so I was getting ready. Y'all, I, I got up and went to class. Again, some of y'all don't understand what a revelation that was. But I was excited about waking up and going to school. Man, we would text, call, I'd see each other. I'd be looking for her before I went to class. Like, I couldn't wait to see her. I couldn't wait to talk to her. I couldn't wait to spend time with her. Do you remember when you first gave your life to Jesus? Do you remember when he first called you to that place? My question is, church, what happened to the days of Pentecost when they couldn't leave the room until God showed up? What happened to the early church that was unwilling to go forth about their day until they met with Jesus and knew that he was going with them wherever they went? That same feeling that Megan and I had for one another, that that young couple may have for one another when they first meet, that is the same feeling 
and desire that we should continue and still be developing for Jesus today. Because while we are going about our day and our business as usual, Jesus wants to go to sleep with us at night. He wants to stay up with us. He wants to wake up with us. He wants us to go to lunch with him. He wants us to remember him when we're sitting in the office. Remember him when we're walking down the hallway. That is singleness in Christ. That I'm not looking for another thing or another person, another string to be fulfilled by. I'm just looking for my Savior. I'm going to give you these points quickly. Number one, if you're taking notes, singleness is an opportunity. Singleness is an opportunity. Singleness... It's, it's not a comma in your life. Singleness is, it's not a semicolon for what's coming. Singleness. That's why, that's why I, I got on that soapbox last week about true love waits. Like, we spent a decade teaching teenagers to wait on marriage. We spent a decade teaching teenagers that SEX was an idol that we should, that was worth waiting for. I spelled it because we got some little ears in the room. Listen, I'm telling y'all, next week, we got children's ministry. We got rooms. And if you don't want them to hear some truth, next week's PG-12. Okay? And it ought to be PG-13. But listen, I can't wait till they're 13 anymore. If I wait until they're 13, they've already heard it in the locker room from somebody else don't know what the junk they're talking about. They've already been listening to it on the radio, on YouTube videos, and through movies and music for the last three years. I ain't got time to wait till they're 13 anymore. And if we can't talk about it in the house of God, then it's likely we're not talking about it in our own house, and we are giving our children away to the perversion of this culture. So next week, we're going to talk about it. A plan for purity. A plan, because if you don't plan, if you fail to plan, come on, it's cliche, I know. If you, don't, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. You're just giving yourself away. Your children, your children's children. We got to talk about this secret assassin in this culture. 40 million Americans addicted to something they see, something they hold. We're going to talk about it next week. I'm being careful today because I see a lot of... I see a lot of innocent faces. My wife turned me off earlier when I was preaching because we're not ready to have some of those conversations. Some of them we're intentionally having. At nine years old, I can't, I'm going to tell you what my baby girl came home telling me last year. Next week, I'm going to tell you because it's unbelievable. We're going to revisit some of those things. If we don't plan for purity, I promise you, we will plan for impurity. We'll succumb to it. It's going to happen. How do we do it? What do we start? Singleness. Singleness is an opportunity. It's not an assault. It's not something that you come to because you couldn't find anyone else. Singleness is not an issue. It's an opportunity. Watch, Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. I wish everyone were single. Boy, he'd be made fun of today, wouldn't he? Listen to me. Paul wouldn't make it in America. He wouldn't make it as a pastor in America. He wouldn't be popular enough. He'd have to be a traveling evangelist because preachers be cleaning up his mess everywhere he went. <laughs> Paul wouldn't make it in this society. Wait, wait, wait. Or would he? Because are we more perverted than Rome was? And I'm pretty sure 
Paul was used to build a church in the greatest era of tyranny and immorality that the world has ever been in. Paul said, hey, church, believers, singleness is not an issue. It's an opportunity. I wish y'all were all single. Now, I missed that sermon. <laughs> Just watch what he says. Each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, hi, I'm Chris, they should go ahead and marry. What? At what point did it become more okay for a 15 to 18 year old to be promiscuous outside of marriage than it was for that 18 or 20 year old to go ahead and get married. At what point in civilization did we become more upset with young people getting married at an earlier age than the fact that they have been promiscuous for the past five years and we're okay with it? What happened? Because that's not biblical. It would be better for them to marry than to burn with lust. So listen to me. If you don't want them to get married at 18, 19, and 20 years old, then you better stop setting them up for failure at 10, 11, and 12 years old. You can't wait for 10 years either trying to help somebody. <laughs> I told you it's a passionate soapbox. Why? Because I carry the scars of misunderstanding this principle. I've seen too many tears from too many young women that thought he was the one. I've seen too many tears from too many young men that just knew she was who he was supposed to have. Singleness is an opportunity. Verse 32, Paul says, I want you to be free from the concerns of life. I want you to be free from the concerns of life. Singleness is an opportunity for freedom. It doesn't mean that if you're married, you get to get divorced because the Bible says that's not what that means. But it does mean that you better begin to find your substance and your security in your singleness in Christ and quit putting this pressure on your spouse to be like him or lead you like only he can. I'm trying to help you today. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking of how to please him. But a married man doesn't think that way. We've got we've to learn how to make sure and keep Jesus first. Because we get easily distracted by our bride and our babies and our other responsibilities. And we end up in the same place that we started. Where we just allow Jesus to be included or involved in the rest of our relationships. Instead of being single in Him. And stable in who he's called us to be. Singleness number two is to be cherished, not condemned. Somebody needs to write that down. Singleness is to be cherished, not condemned. Listen to me. Listen to me. If you're single, if you're unmarried, if you plan on being married, if you're currently in a relationship that's difficult because you're trying to live for Jesus and you're praying for your spouse to come and live for Jesus with you, listen to me. 
There's nothing, this, thus saith the Lord. You hear me? Thus say, this is the voice of God speaking to you right now. Not me, not Chris the person, but the person of the Holy Spirit. Thus saith the Lord. If you meet any of those criteria, there is nothing wrong with you. You are right where God wants you. If you will pursue him with all of your heart, you will seek him, you will find him when you do not give up and do not give in. He He's got you right where he wants you. Go after him. True love doesn't wait. It gets to know Jesus because Jesus is love. And the only way that you can give love is if you got love and you only get it in Jesus Christ. You're right where you're supposed to be. Singleness is not to be condemned. 12-year-olds thinking there's something wrong with them because they don't have a boyfriend. Are you serious? We're okay with this in the house of God? 23-year-olds being accused of homosexuality because they're not married at 23, 24 years old. 30-year-olds being asked if there's something wrong with them if they don't like other people. No, they're content in Christ. It's okay. That's where they're supposed to be. Singleness is to be cherished not condemned. This teaching has changed the way I pray over my children. For the first five years of their life, seven years of their life, I would pray, God, prepare the husband you have for Adeline. Prepare the husband you have for Emery. Prepare the wife you have for Gabriel. I don't pray that anymore. I say, Jesus, let them find their fulfillment in you. Let them seek you and find you. Let them know you and make you known. Let them find their substance and their security in you, oh God. And if it is your will, as they follow you, would you guide their path and direct their steps to the one man that you may have for her, to the one woman that you may have for him. And some of you are sitting here thinking, well, I've already messed that up. I've already made that mistake. Don't you think that your mistake is too great for God's grace? Last time I checked, he died once and for all. You can't go back, but you can start again. You can start anew. You don't have to worry about yesterday. That's condemnation. That's over. You can't do anything about that. Good. Jesus did it for you. Spend the rest of your life following him and letting him redeem even the people and the places and the time where you've been. Because it's already been paid for. That is the beauty of this gospel. That's the point. Singleness is to be cherished. Singleness is not something that I resort to because there's something wrong with me. Singleness is what I aim for. Singleness is my first ambition, not my last option. Write this down. Singleness is a covenant, not a curse. Singleness is a covenant, not a curse. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. Okay, I came from this. I know a lot of people that are living for Jesus today and they've been through divorces and separations and all kinds of stuff. I know a lot of people. But we cannot be surprised when statistically 70% of marriages end in divorce, even in the church. When even the church is living outside of covenant with Jesus before they ever come to the altar to make that covenant with somebody else. Hear me. If you'll cheat on Jesus, then you'll cheat. If you'll cheat on him, 
What makes you think? Ladies, come on, I'm trying to help you. Guys, trying to help you. If she'll let you put your hands on her, I'm trying to be careful today because I see innocent faces, but you know what I'm saying without saying it. Why would I set my daughter up for failure? That boy's got too much freedom. Oh, he's got boundaries. I don't care what kind of boundaries he's got. That mug will climb that fence if he gets excited enough. He'll run through it. I can't give my daughter away to that. I can't give my son away to that. I can't set him up for failure at 10, 11, 12 years old, put him in a bed on wheels and expect him to be accountable to who? That boy's riding with me or his mama. I'm trying to help somebody. Well, it's not how we have been operating. Okay, well, maybe that's my soapbox. You do it your way, I'll do it mine. We'll compare at the end. I still believe that singleness is a covenant. And you have to be in covenant with Jesus to ever be able to truly understand what it means to be in covenant with somebody else. He is covenant. That's why we didn't kiss for the last six months before our marriage. Because I understand that in the Old Testament, a kiss is a seal of a covenant. That's why at the end of the covenant in a marriage, you may kiss your bride. You may kiss your husband because you are sealing the covenant that you just made for God with that person. So quit giving away your covenant on the way to the altar. And if you haven't, then start over right now. You don't have to go back. You can just give it to Jesus today. Matthew chapter 19, verse 12, it's a bridge. It says, some choose not to marry. Some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. Singleness is not sadness. It's scriptural. Singleness is not loneliness. This is the last point we're closing. I just need four preaching minutes. It's like football minutes. They're a little bit longer. So, Singleness is my loudest. Hear me. Come on, don't fall asleep on me with, with four preaching minutes left. Singleness is my loudest gospel declaration when you're able to not just be alone but to be alone in Christ when Jesus becomes enough for you when Jesus is your only and he's all you need and you don't need anything else and you don't need anybody else because you've got Jesus and I'm not saying that you say it with your nose in the air like you can get lost and get out of here because I don't need you I'm saying that even when your friend stabs you in the back you still got Jesus even when he's not leading you the way that he's supposed to even when she's not submitting with you the way that you're both supposed to even when the world forsakes you. You've got Jesus and he's enough. He is your loudest gospel declaration that when everything else and everybody else is falling apart, just give me Jesus because he's enough for me. It's my loudest gospel declaration. I stand on the rooftops and I say, hey, I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need this. I don't need that. I don't need to go there. I just need to be with Jesus. If I have nothing else but the cross and him crucified, then I am complete in who he's called.
be. It's my loudest. God, Paul said it this way. I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What a radical witness to the world to need to know nothing and no one but Jesus Christ and him crucified. My pastor said it this way to me before I was married to her. Chris, if you cannot be content in being alone with Jesus, then she and nobody else will ever give you contentment. I had to learn. We're still learning that singleness is our loudest gospel message to truly believe in the resurrection. Paul said it this way, to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, even if I have to share in his suffering and I'm praying Singleness is not about being alone. Singleness is about being alone with Jesus. Even if you're married, unmarried, wherever you are, I'm sweating stuff out of me right now because I'm trying to convince you that Jesus is enough for me. And it's not because I'm a preacher in a pulpit. I'm a preacher in a pulpit because I met Jesus in an altar. I got alone with my Savior in the secret place. So he became enough for me in front of people in society. It's my gospel message. So here's what I don't do. I don't go back to the strings that I was connected to whenever I get desperate, whenever I get lonely whenever I become sad. That's what a lot of people do. We go back to what we knew. What Jesus set us free of, what we were connected to, when we don't feel anymore, we go back and look that person up on Facebook. We go back and follow that person on social media. We watch this movie, we read this book, and we live vicariously through other people's lives trying to reconnect to strings that Jesus has already severed and trying to set us free from. We go back and pick the things up that were just crucified out of our lives. And now instead of being connected to Jesus, we're reconnected to the things that he's already attempted to deliver us from. Hey, listen to me. Don't go back to the strings. Don't go back to the sin. Don't go back to the struggle. You're where you're supposed to be. You're becoming who you're supposed to be. You're who you're supposed to be with. You're where you're supposed to be. All the things that you are right now are where God has you. Don't go back and connect to the strings. Stick with Jesus, the author and the perfecter. Fix your eyes on him and follow him all the way home. Don't go back. Don't go back. Would you bow your head, close your eyes with me? Father, thank you for the patience of your people today. Thank you for this message on singleness. God, I lift up every hurting person in the house this morning. God, I lift up every relationship to you. Husbands, wives, friends, family, girlfriend, boyfriend, widows, married, unmarried, completely single, lonely people. And God, I just rebuke the lies of this culture. God, I I, I rebuke off of these teenagers, off of these young people, and off of lonely people. 
the lies of this culture, the lies of the enemy that would tell them if they're not with someone or they're not somewhere, that they're not good enough to be with someone or good enough to be somewhere. God, you're calling them. And they might not be good enough, but you are. So we don't find our security in relationships and in other people and other places and other productivity. We find our security in you. I'm calling the church to a place where Jesus is truly enough. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this place this morning and Jesus has not been enough for you, if you're in this place this morning and you need to receive salvation for the first time or the first time in a long time, I remember an old song that says, Jesus is calling softly and tenderly. He's calling. He's been waiting. He's been wanting. All you have to do is turn to Him and receive the salvation and the forgiveness that He has to offer so that you can begin to live the life that He paid for. If I'm talking to you, I want you to lift your hand with nobody else looking around. This is between you and God as an act of obedience. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'd shout it from the rooftop right now if I were given the opportunity. All I'm asking you to do is lift your hand if you want to be included in a prayer of salvation or recommitment to Jesus right now. Lift your hand all over this room. Thank you, Lord, for the act of obedience, the honesty expressed in an action of lifting our hand and being open to you. Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to invite every person in this room to open your hands up right where you sit as if Jesus were handing you the gift of himself. And church, I want you to join in with every person in this room right now, every person that lifted their hand and even those that didn't, but they know they were supposed to. And I want you to speak out loud, declare out loud this prayer together. Let's pray. Jesus, forgive me where I've fallen short where I fell for the lie that I need anyone or anything but you. Thank you for being enough, for paying the price for every string, every sin, every area where I was ashamed. Make me into your image and your likeness, the power of your resurrection and the shame of your suffering. I want to know you and make you known. I will follow you with all of my heart. Take my life. Take my life, Lord, and make it yours. In Jesus' name.